It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. Today, we're going to learn how to protect what we've earned with financial risk assessment by talking to George Schwabe and Paul Katz. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Holmes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Holmes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 or visit homesbyhortensia.com. Homes by Hortensia, habla espanol. Welcome to the show. In case you're a new listener, here's my backstory, and I'm sticking to it. I've been a consultant for small businesses for the last 25 years, helping small businesses implement customer relationship management software, aka a CRM system, where I learned the business processes and customized the software to help them gain the knowledge and gain an advantage in sales, marketing, or customer service. But there's much more to becoming a success in business than just having a good CRM system. That's why I bring on guests to tell their stories and share tips on either technology, tactics, or trends they use to become successful. So let's get into it and introduce everyone here today. To my one side is the producer. She's a star soprano, the star soprano, and she's my wife. Welcome, Mrs. Cynthia Zimmerman. Hello, hello. And today is one of the least shy men on the other side I've met through the local networking circuit. Let me introduce George Schwabe. He's a Marquette University alumnus with over 30 years of insurance industry experience and a renowned business leader. These are just some of the qualities he possesses. He's a longtime Illinois resident, and George does believe in putting in everyone else before him, and he recognizes the importance of delivering ethical business practices and quality service to his clients. The service objective with the clients is what he can do for them, and it's not about what they can do for him. His passion for analyzing what is the best coverage, insurance coverage or otherwise for his clients is his goal. In the event he really can't find somebody, if he can't do it, he'll always point point you in the right direction. Welcome, George. Thank you. And to the other side, we got his we got his business partner. His name is Paul Katz. My title came out to him as today's curmudgeon. But he's more than that. 
he he knows taxes, audits, and insurance and risk assessment. And he his role is to ask the toughest questions out there. And he does this based on 50 years of experience in all these parts of business. Welcome, Paul. Greetings. All right. Well, my intro is going to be sweet. I don't have any industry insurance stats. I got nothing on insurance knowledge. And I hate to say it, I, I'm a little prejudiced against insurance. I always feel like I'm being taken. And it feels at best like an adversarial, transa adversarial transaction, but I need to know more. I know I got some term life insurance and it's, it's enough to, to throw a good party for Cynthia on the way out. But I think we really need to be educated in a lot of elements. One, in the element of trust. Who do you trust for something this important? Why is it important to, to have insurance? I know it is, whether it's health, disability, if I get hurt while I'm trying to do some CRM consultancy because I'm most, my labor drives most of my business. I can't just sit back and look for my dividend stock returns to pay for my lifestyle. I've also witnessed some family go through uh, the end of the road and their care while they were at a stage where they needed full-time care that a kids or peers couldn't take care of them. And I, I know it's important. I'm always afraid to ask the tough questions. I always feel like I'm gonna be behind the eight ball, whether it's financially or knowledge or whatever. So I thought this would be a really cool idea to bring in people that I know that can help us with this whole, almost holistic picture of risk assessment. I've always just heard of it as insurance products to sell and you got some wacky salesman or a, what do you call it? A spokesperson for State Farm Insurance and you got some clever or a clever Geico lizard or you know, you know something clever to try to make it fun to buy insurance. So I, I, I need a little talk off the ledge here, George and Paul. How does this all work? What is risk assessment? Take, take it from there, George. Well, risk assessment is assisting business owners and individuals through asking probing questions about the different financial things that happen to us in our life. If we own a business, what's the numbers look like? Are we in the right direction? Paul asks those questions and he waits for good answers. Have you looked at all the doors of life as we move on? Get all these doors in front of us. When we open them up, what's behind them? If somebody hasn't been around the block and experienced all the different things that happen to people and businesses and the result of those activities, whether they be something very good or very bad for us, we have to have a plan if we want to survive that. Risk assessment does that. The least that you find out from risk assessment is where you stand today based on where you have been and share where you want to go. And that's mostly with Paul so that he can help you look at the parameters of sculpting, uh, I guess, a risk-proof plan going forward. That takes a lot of different efforts. 
anything from income to sales to I want to sell my business, I want to provide for my kids' education, how am I going to pay for retirement, am I going to pay for money? We do not invest money. We're not investment people. Everything that we offer in a product side is guaranteed. So if it's a retirement vehicle, like a income product that is all guarantees, no way of losing money, and has an upside, that would be something that we might offer to someone. If it were life insurance, how healthy are they? How much do they need? What can they afford? And what do they want to do with it? How long do they want to have it? And is there any chance that they might want to change the type of plan they have down the road? You have to know the contracts from insurance companies, read them because they change. And some of those companies are starting to put wording in regarding COVID and undeclared wars or skirmishes that might be damaging people. So if you were in the Gaza right now and you're getting bombed, they're trying to find ways of limiting their exposure to individuals. I just got the, a notice on my E&O policy for my consultancy. And, and I'm in Illinois. They're like, oh, if you get a chemical attack or something like that, just <laughs> you're on your own. Bye. Well, that's one, one of, of the problems that we run into when we talk to potential clients is the fact we hear, well, my insurance guy took care of this 10 years ago. And my question to them is, where's he been since that? And you had this, this blank look on their face saying, what do you mean? And the result is they haven't followed up after 10 years or even the following year. So the problem is you're under this false sense of security that everything is taken care of. And we've done, you know, audits for certain individuals, high-ranking, successful people, and we found that the insurance policy itself was erroneously signed by a secretary, non-family member of a business who had all the benefits of these policies to the tune of millions. And the statement or the case that came from the client was, well, my, my brother knew this guy and we thought he was taking care of us. I.e., you just have yourself an interesting risk. And we straightened that out for them. It sounds like misplaced. Could it be either I don't trust anybody or misplaced trust? What do you all run into? It's misplaced trust. People think just because they're a friend, they're going to do the very best. Unfortunately, I've encountered a number of instances where their good buddy has absconded with millions. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I, I feel personally in my experience, I'd rather work with somebody who has no familial connection to me, who is not a friend, because then I, I'm easier for me to hold them accountable. And... Um, and be confrontational if I feel I need to be, um, because it's it's hard enough talking with family about money and life plans and end of life plans. But if you're using somebody that's related to you and your family, 
for that support or that business, I just would find it very difficult to confront them saying, well, why wasn't this covered? Or you told me this last time and now it's not working. George has an interesting story that actually <laughs> points that, that, that issue out as far as friends. George? George? <laughs> friends can be friends and then there's business. Mm -hmm. Because I knew a, a very good client and a wealthy family for many years, I mean 20 years, knew the whole family, brothers, sisters, siblings, kids, everybody. Seven years, I knocked on that door and finally had the opportunity to do a project for them. But when it came down to not only saving them a lot of money, because they weren't open to other advisors' evaluation of what they had. But when they started to get confidence in that, what we did, they would say, George, you're a friend. We've known each other forever. Don't come to this next meeting, just bring Paul, because I've got all the friends I need. Mm -hmm. So in that in that day and age, Paul was very curmudgeonly. It's a good word. It's a good. It's, actually, I think it's a good trait. Thank you. Mm -hmm. He was. He has been known as a pompous ass. In his, <laughs> he had a license plate with a on it that had pompous on it. These are. Th th this is the difference. He is by the facts. I have seen him fire people paying us 10 grand a month in consulting fees because they didn't follow through, because they didn't tell the whole truth, because they agreed to do things. And it was okay. You give them an out. You say, if you don't believe this is right or you don't want to do it, just say so. It's okay. And that's Paul. With me, eh. It bounces off of me. But with Paul, you had better not turn that corner because he believes in doing the right thing all the time, even if it costs you money. So I'm not driven by money at all. Paul is because he's a finance guy, but he's not going to sell his soul because of that. So the industry we're in, and just running back to that, the insurance industry has gotten very greedy over the last 20 years. People do not serve the general public anymore. People do not talk to people who probably make less than $100,000 a year because they want to invest their money. We don't want to invest your money. We want to help you to protect what's important to you, help protect your income, protect your family, protect your business. That's what we do. And we come from varied backgrounds. I spent a number of years at Aon, and that's big company. But we dealt with the small side of that business. So we, we'd walk into the employees and say, here's benefits. You want to talk about these? Not the big shot liability stuff. Okay. What, mm -hmm. tell, tell everybody else what that means uh, to, the, to the layperson. Yeah. Uh, when you have... Uh, a large group of employees, 10,000, for instance, and you're chugging along, 
they have benefits. But no one talks to them about the value of their benefits. So if you go in to a company like that, meet with the employees one-on-one or in small groups, obviously you have a whole lot of folks doing that, you explain the value of those benefits, it has a direct effect on turnover and quality of life at the workforce. Happy employees who come to work every day are productive. It is the greatest expense that we have in business today, small and larger company, is to lose an employee over money. You may very well pay a dollar an hour as a competitor, but they were losing $3 an hour in benefits. Mm. But unless somebody helps them understand that, they never do. And then we assume that people that are the executives know all about this stuff. They don't. They're human beings. They know about what they do. That's why we're brokers. We serve clients, not the company master. That gives us the flexibility to work on your behalf. And that's the traditional broker definition. You work for the client, agents work for the company. We're brokers. Okay. And would you say most people, when you, they, if you say I'm a broker, they would consider that a negative? No. And not trust you? No. They probably don't understand what it is. Mm-hmm. They will ask the question, do you only represent one company or two companies or three? And we'll absolutely say no. We cannot do that because how can we know that one company, two or three companies are always going to be the best for everyone we walk into? And to add to that, we don't practice square peg, round hole. What would That's be an example of, you know, for the rest of us, because we're probably learning as much as we are asking, the learning along with this conversation. What does that mean, square peg and round hole? I mean, what would be a typical example of a square I work. I work for a, a, an insurance company of which I'm a captive, and they only offer three different life insurance products. No matter what happens, those are the three products that are going to solve all your issues. Square peg, round hole. So we might have 120 different companies that we are licensed to do business with to match the right company for the individual, for the benefits they want, the type of policy they want, their health, and their budget. You know, if you can't afford it, it's no good to you. So what the product it is and what's most important in all of those things and what do you want to take care of now and maybe later on? You have to have some plan to do this. Therefore, is all cash accumulating whole life the best for everybody? No. Is all term life insurance the best for everybody? No. Should you have a, a little of both? Heck yes. If you got a family and a mortgage and all that stuff, you need term insurance. If you can afford permanent insurance, okay. But you may not need to do that. Those are discovery questions that we work with people. So we understand what's in the contracts of the different companies, and we're able to match up the individual with 
the coverage that they want and need at a fair price. And we will never be the cheapest on the street. It's happened once. You, you get what you pay for. <laughs> oh, I believe it, that. It, yeah. Yeah. Especially in this arena. Especially in this arena. Big differences sometimes. It can be as, if it was term life insurance, for instance, it might be as much as the difference on a half a million dollar policy might be five bucks a month to go from a quality contract to one that's just very plain Jane. And the problem is, is term insurance does expire. And people don't understand that. Well, I've been paying for this for 20 years. Now my premiums are 25 times greater than what I had been paid. What happened? Mm -hmm. They don't know about these things, which goes back to the, the, the issue that unfortunately today's industries have changed the compensation for insurance to brokers and agents. You get paid commission on the first year's premium. They don't give renewals out anymore on the majority of the insurance contracts. So there is no impetus for me as, as an agent or broker to come see you annually. I'm not getting paid for it. There's no need to see yeah. you. So to be a smart consumer, you have to be proactive and making sure that you review all of this every year and you have to be the one to make the call, correct? Correct. And and who wants to do that? I'm not raising my hand if you saw me in a podcast. <laughs> this was video. You wouldn't see me raising. Well, for that. me, I'm I'm kind of the person saying, just give me the guidelines. What exactly do I need to do if I want to go from here to there? What are my responsibilities, and what are the responsibilities you promise me? And then go from there. But that, I am not everybody. Great. That's, that's not everybody. However, however, you're not you're not discussing the issues with your confidant. Mm -hmm. Your friend's not going to ask those hard questions, and you may not you you may be embarrassed to even discuss them. Mm -hmm. So everyone has this tendency of trying to hide their proverbial head in a hole, yeah. and hopefully it goes away by itself. The risk assessment process is is involved questions that makes you uncomfortable, but yet you know what your end result is. When you're done with the process, mm -hmm. you know what your goal is. You know what you have to do to attain all of it or part of it. Mm -hmm. And if anything, you have a confident now. As far as I'm concerned, George will attest to this. Again, I'm not interested in being your friend. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to be your friend, I'm not being objective. That's key to me. That's key. I don't I want... I don't want my CPA, I don't want anyone that I, that's dealing with my estate or my future plans to be my friend. Now, time, I feel more comfortable sharing, you know, answering those uncomfortable questions because I'm working with a professional that I've hired for that purpose. One of the things, Cynthia, that you will find is that over time, when you're dealing with people on an ongoing basis, whether it be yearly reviews or semi-annually, or you call to say, what do you think about this? That over time you become friendly. Is it a friend? I don't know. Most people don't have more than 
couple of friends, real friends. The idea is that if somebody cares about you and knows that there's not necessarily a buck in it for them, that's a good advisor, Mm -hmm. I think. Now, most people refer to their attorneys or their accountants as their advisors, but they may be out of their specialty when you're asking a question and then they try to figure out how to get an answer for you. A lot of times that type of conversation is when they're getting their taxes done with the CPA. And to be candid, the CPA doesn't have the time to answer all these other issues or address these issues because you're there to get something done and you don't want to pay any more. People are very unhappy when they get a a significant bill for the CPA for extra curricular items. And that's an issue. Plus the fact the CPA doesn't have the time to possibly stay up on the industry standards and what's going on with all the changes out there. They just don't have the time and they admit it. Now, they have hundreds of clients coming in. You know, they don't have four or five hours to talk to somebody. Now, what what Paul and I have found is in in working with people is that you have to want to talk to somebody, first of all. So I usually meet people pretty well, a pretty harmless kind of guy. So we come to the conclusion, can we work together possibly? Should we talk about this subject if you'd like to talk about risk assessment? And if you do, great. And if you don't, that's okay, too. We always are there to try to help other people in their business. We refer out like mad, but we are a bugaboo about you getting your basic wills, trusts, guardianship, powers of attorney in line. Mm-hmm. Those are really important. If you can't do anything else, mm-hmm. you really should have health care power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yes. Oh, kids. yes. It's so important. And what's also unique to us, by the way, we we're talking about when we're talking to a part, partners or a, or a blended family, we meet with the individuals separately first to find out what's really on their mind. And then we meet the t- all of us together to go over what we have found. It's very difficult, you know, for example, a blended family. You know, well, my kids are, you know, 15 years old. I want to take care of them differently than my younger kids. But they still are entitled to parts of my business or part of my assets. And I want to make sure they get their share. Well, you're not going to talk to your spouse about that as candidly as you would by talking to us. Yes. One of my other, you know, besides the financial, I'm also a certified mediator. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have the ability to communicate with people on, in a non-threatening way to get to an issue, some type of conclusion. I think that's wonderful point? because I know Mark and I, before we got married, we actually, one of, one of my criteria was we need to really sit down and do our estate planning and make sure we have all ducks in a row uh, before we walk down the aisle because I felt that was more important. And also I came about that because of 
uh, seeing how my parents had prepared for end of life. And fortunately, they did prepare. And we were all aware of what they requested. But even when it's all on paper and you understand your responsibility as a family member and you know what they want, it's still stressful um, when you're in the moment. So for me to think of someone not having that, that, that estate planning done, the end of life, you know, your health care, power of attorney, if you don't have that in place and then suddenly someone's in the hospital and they're talking about end of life care, I would, I would collapse under that kind of pressure. So I was very thankful, as painful as it was, to go through that process with my parents, knowing they had planned. And that's why it was so important for me to do that with Mark. And I know initially Mark didn't want to really talk about certain end of life plans. I said, it's coming. None of us are going to live forever. Yeah. We, it's something that you have to talk about more than once and go back and review. That's the magic word and review. You and have to go. It just can't be once. Mm -hmm. You know, if you should do it at least every six or seven years mm -hmm. because things change. Right. If you have kids, they might have been happily married then, and now they're divorced. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you want to take care of the grandkids, but you don't want the that miserable spouse getting anything only for the grandkids. Exactly. And these things have to be addressed. And unfortunately, while it, it's in the back of many people's minds, they really don't want to be forced to sitting down and addressing it. You know, again, it's so much easier to put my head in the sand than address mm -hmm. these issues. Mm -hmm. Yes. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening, and let's continue. How aggravated do you think people will be after watching or listening to this podcast, if you will, because you got a bunch of people professing this, this, and this, and they're all full of sugar. My situation different. I can't afford that. Well, maybe you can. You just don't know it. And what happens if you don't? What is the result of that? You know, don't have a will, and I don't give a damn about a will. I'm not paying so and so four hundred dollars for a will. Okay. Well, three percent of that property probably going to go into probate assets. If you have yes. a house that's four hundred thousand dollars, three points is a heck of a lot more than four or five hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and that's example of aggravation that's dumb money exactly yeah oh. i was yes i totally agree <laughs> you don't want to leave it to the courts it yeah. just becomes too painful and expensive three more so well, we take talk about human a humanistic approach i am a very empathetic person not sympathetic but empathetic that's why i do coaching in life in sports and young people. But I understand where you have to go and if you want something, what you have to do to get it. And as a quick funny, I am the only person who in eighth grade was cut from a no-cut school flag football team. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay, take this. You take this one, Mark. You take this one. 
Well, I, I didn't try out for football. I was a soccer and rugby guy, but yeah, that, that's a, boy, that's a, that's the toughest cut right there. Um, my, my brother was the star quarterback two years younger. Even more of a wound, right? Even more right. of a wound. Now, but I heard you wound up coaching Loyola. <laughs> Did you wind up coaching Loyola Academy though, right? Yeah, I've coached 10 years in grade school first and then 20, I'm going to my 21st year there. But you're you're helping people mold their lives just like we are in the finance and risk assessment world. You see the product. You see what's going on in people's lives. All the good and all the challenges and sometimes the bad. We hope to avoid whatever potholes, sinkholes maybe, not potholes. Everybody's going to have to hit a few potholes in life. You just want to avoid the sinkholes. Mm-hmm. And do that by just doing a little bit of chatting with someone who's experienced in the area of risk assessment. You then have a chance, at least knowingly, about how to handle these things. And I think also people think, oh, risk assessment, that that all that business is for the rich folk or for corporations. It's not for me, the individual average person who's maybe making under 100000 a year. And the thing we have to realize, at least the thing I'm realizing as I get older is you have to take on more and more responsibility in every area of your life, especially when it comes to estate planning or financial planning, because it's not my my parents' game anymore. It's not their generation's game anymore, where you really did develop a relationship with one person that you could go back for 25 years and know everything was set. Or what is maybe you can... George and Paul can come to this. I think I, I did this in the last couple of shows we've been talking about is the old days of the traditional employment model, 30 years at the same corporation. You trust everybody in HR to take care of you with an awesome pension and you get a nice brass ring at the end of the day, plus a watch, plus a nice, you know, nice residual for, for your time served. I believe that has changed dramatically. We used to live in a familial economic world, especially in the Midwest. And in the greater Chicago market, we used to treat the whole family to benefits. Then it became treating the individual to benefits because of the escalating cost of health care. Health care okay. is the primary driver of expense. And then the rest of the country only treated the individual primarily before. They weren't as familial. But we also had lower wages overall compared to cost of living. So Chicago land was a very high cost of living compared to wages for many, many years because we paid for benefits by our business owners for our, for our employees. And now it's not the case, but the wages didn't go up. We all got squeezed. Oh. And created a heck of an economic problem for a lot of families. I mean, two people making $100,000 living in a northern suburb with a house, they don't have any extra money. That's kind of astounding to hear. That sounds like a lot, but it isn't. Not after taxes, mortgage tax, and, and your personal taxes, real estate taxes, and every other doggone thing on the earth, and raising family. Holy cow. How much do you really save and how can you? So sometimes the budgeting process 
that Paul gets into with individuals, helps them to create some little pockets of money that can be used for vacations or benefits that they have to choose on their own. You just didn't know there was money there, but sometimes you can find it. So do you feel or believe that financial literacy is lacking among the people you know? Paul, you've got a wealth of experience over me in this realm. What what do you believe the state of financial literacy is among business owners or personal uh, personal families? I think social media has a negative impact on people's psyche nowadays. There's too much information out there that is misleading and false. So people that are so quick to try to latch on to this one topic that they'll believe anything they read. And unfortunately, it's not true. Example, and I, I love this one. There's this one investment house. I cannot name the name, but they say, and we are, we're a fiduciary and we don't make any money and we don't sell products with commissions. Bull. Just bull. I won't fill in the last four letters. Yeah, we can't. We're, we're a family-friendly show. There you go. But the problem is they're, they're making a statement that's inaccurate. And it's unfortunate because people have all this false sense of security when they don't honestly understand the facts as presented. So it's easy to say, yeah, we don't charge you anything. Everything's, you know, it's fiduciary. We have all this responsibility and we can't make any money on any of the ancillary products we sell you. It's garbage. So do they, how, how would a company bait and switch, they do it on assets under management as a, like a fee under that. I mean, they got to pay for the, at least for the advertisement and the TV time. Of course they do. And, you know, and, and the management fees, they, they, they make you believe that they're only making money if you make money. Baloney. I'm being very nice with my choice of words. Um, well, I think that there's a little bit more to it than meets the eye. I learned this in doing consulting work as a life insurance specialist or insurance specialist for a group. They only charge consulting fees. And they said, we have to use no load. That means no commission paid insurance products. And I said, okay. I said, I have to test that. So we go and get quotes from those no load. That means no commission paid insurance products. And then also went to that same company and I said, this is the same person and the same you know, parameters and found out sometimes that the no load, no commission paid product cost more to the consumer than the full commission product. Now that made no sense to me. When I brought that to the senior consultant's attention, they said, that can't be. And I said, well, the person who was taking the application at the no-load insurance company is receiving compensation from their employer, the insurance company, for doing that. That is in lieu of being, quote-unquote, a commission. So, you know, it's, it's how you phrase things, what you know, what you think you know, without verification. Paul has taught me, always verify. 
Trust your gut. He's only been wrong once in the last 21 years we've been in partnership. Well, I, yeah, that is the great phrase, trust but verify. It's one, one catchphrase I've used. Um, have I done it with all my risk assessment products? Well, I could always do better. So could you take someone through what I, there's risk assessment and then there's like insurance evaluation and there's financial planning and they seem to circulate around a similar orbit, but I, can you take a layperson through something like that? First thing, I'll do mine first and Paul's gonna get into it because mine's simple. You get the facts on all your existing insurances and then evaluate in them and it'll let you know what they say and what they mean to you, very simply. That's an insurance evaluation. Then we, Paul is now on from now on because because everything else comes as a result of all the conversation. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. You know, when you ask a person to make up a, a recap of what they'd spent their money on in the last 30 or 60 days, they're amazed if they actually are honest about what they're spending their money on. Well, the problem is when you ask a person, well, what's your definition of retirement? How much do you need to live on? Well, I don't need much. You know, I just want to travel. Well, how, what do you, how much does traveling cost? Where do you want to go? For how long? Things of that issue, of that nature. And the problem is people don't really understand what I'm asking unless I do it three, four, five different times because they don't want to address the actual cost factors, the emotional side. Well, I've worked all these years. I want to retire. I want to have fun. Well, what does it cost to have fun? Let's yeah, talk about your family. Does your family have longevity? Well, yeah, my dad's 95 years old. Well, gee, how much fun has he had the last 10 years? And how's <laughs> he paying for that fun? These are questions that pop up, and it's not just insurance. It has to do with the reality of life and what you feel you're comfortable with in practice versus reality. So by asking these questions, we come up with different scenarios. Persons who want doing great in the stock market. Well, are you? You know, everyone says, <laughs> well, S&P is up, you know, 9,000 9, points. Great. How many stocks were in the S&P that were affected? Last week, it was five companies that made up 70% of the gains. Yep. Well, I've read that. it doesn't help you a whole bunch, does it? No. Nope. You know, yeah. I owned Apple when it was $8 a share. Unfortunately, I was 22 years old and I didn't keep it. So yeah, shame, shame on me. But this is the reality people don't want to look at. I think that a lot of people I, also operate under the idea that they're more financially, I'm not going to say stable, but they live at a higher financial threshold than they really do. And, and it can be very sobering when you realize, wow, I really don't have that much. And I need to save much more for what I'm planning in the future. Would you say that's a correct I think comment? that's very accurate. We've talked to some investment advisors, you know, doing our role. And he says, I can't, you know, retire in 15 years with a couple million dollars. Mm -hmm. I need five times that. 
I brought yeah. some formulas. I mean, maybe if, if, if it's easy to punch out over the air, like, is there a formula? I read one. It's like at least one, you know, having cash in the bank, 1.25. I wish I could find the webpage, but like 1.2 million, you know, hard assets, liquid, not, you know, real estate with a mortgage against it or something like that, like straight up net worth to have a good life starting at 65, 70. And I'm in my early 50s. Nobody can agree on what, how much money you need at retirement. If you have a million dollars, it's going to last you 25 years. If you, yeah, sure, if you take 7% out, maybe, but you've got about one other item inflationary expenses. Yep. So that 7% is now 15%. That million dollars is not going to earn you 15% return on your money unless you're really aggressive. And I would recommend that to anyone. No, even my 31-year-old son is not that aggressive. You know, yeah, so definitely gambling. Uh, uh, maybe at Des Plaines River Casino or something like that, you know, bet it all on black. That's probably a tough way to go. Yep, yep. You're absolutely right. You're Very you're true. Th your thoughts are on the right path here. We're trying to reach out to consumers, business holders, professionals, whoever would listen to this and just caution them that it's not a bad idea to take a little bit of time to think about what's next. And what happens if this, this, or this happen? And I always use the example of, hey, you get cancer. Most of the time, you don't die. But I'll tell you, the treatment knocks the living snot out of you. Right. You, know, you survive. Okay, so now you're surviving. And you beat, you quote unquote, beat it, but you lost three years of excess income or income that of your years when you were really hitting it. And now what happens? What what am I going to do now? This happens with people who have heart attacks, but not killers. But they're not back to normal for nine months to a year, maybe. And you're a salesperson, for instance, or you're a business owner. Who's paying to keep the business going? How are the bills getting paid at home? Are you depleting all of your cash and all your assets? Was there another opportunity or type of way of shifting that risk? And that might be a product. So we use critical illness for that. Yeah, I've heard of stuff like that, like disability or key man insurance. I mean, again, this is your world, not mine, but... You know, I think most of us in the small business world, most of us sell our labor by either an hour or a project. And yeah, maybe I can subcon. I, right now, I can subcontract it out. Most of the work I do can be subbed out. But what about just paying for me to coordinate, just keeping you know keeping the plate spinning, so to speak? I still got to pay for somebody to help me, even while I'm in the recovery room. And that's precisely what you have to. Be cognizant of it. You have to have a plan. If you don't, and that comes out in the questioning process with Paul. We just had one yesterday, and he asked some very, the guy was very thankful we asked the questions. He had none of the answers, been in business for quite a while, successful, but yet, where is he going in the future? His dreams were not going to be met without the basic information he needed. So Paul's a curmudgeon, and he stuck to his guns. 
and follow through now by the client to give us some information so we can help. The nicest thing a client can say to us is thank you for the peace of mind you've just provided. Oh, I, I hear it because. Yeah, that's key. Unfortunately, I've seen, you know, one of my colleagues who was in, I mean, in my CRM world, I don't know what happened to his family. He wasn't probably my age, passed away. I don't know what happened. I mean, he definitely had no succession plan for the business. I, I know we wound up picking up a couple of clients because a guy passed away and there was like nothing in plan. You know, so I, I'm sure there's a lot of case studies of just what could go wrong. And I'm saying this to the audience of those who own their small business or, you know, I'll pick on some people that are really successful and, you know, if they're like, let's just, I'll pick on real estate. Hey, you're really good. You make the big, the big bucks. But if you're on the shelf for three to six months, you're not out there closing business. So what do you do? I would talk to George or Paul about that. Maybe you can also give us a, a good example of somebody who did come to you planned and how that's been successful for them. Because I know up to this point, we're, we're sharing how important it is and what can go wrong if you don't plan. But I think it'd be good for our listeners to hear some success stories, so to speak. We had this good friend of mine, 67 years old, third marriage, wants to do something for his eighth grader. And his health is not as good as it used to be. He said, George, I want to buy some life insurance for her benefit when I die. And I said to him, great, let's see what that looks like. And then Paul and I visited and I said, life insurance costs are going to be such and such. And Paul said, yeah, I, I agree. What else can he do to make this economically feasible? And I said, well, you think she might go to college locally? And he says, everybody in her family has. I said, okay. So why don't you buy a condominium down at the Paul area and have that condominium be a place that she can always live, which is a good thing. And she can rent it out while she, if she's not living there. And she always has a place to live and an income, take on a roommate or whatever it is. And we don't sell real estate. So he went and did that. And he did die eight years later. And she had a condominium. And she did use it. And she did take on a roommate. And she did have income. And that condominium went up in value by 400% in that area. And that's unbelievable what happened. Well, that definitely did not. That You wouldn't have gotten a 400% return on your life insurance. Well, you wouldn't have afforded the life insurance and amount and the amount. You wouldn't have done it. it. It would have been a nice commission for us, but it wasn't the right thing to do. Oh, that's pretty another, awesome. Another guy came to me, had very old insurance policies with a very reputable insurance company. And I, he said, business is down. I want to help my daughter grow in this business I'm in. It was a search business. He was 67, 68 years old. And then all of a sudden he said, well, I said, what do you want to do with this insurance? He said, I want to use it to die with. I said, okay. He said, but I need income. I need more money to live on now because I'm picking my money and investing in this business and trying to help my daughter and grow in the business. And what we did, we were able to change 
the dividends that were paid on this insurance. It was cash accumulating insurance, whole life, to pay the premiums. And he was able to pick up $700 a month to add to his savings every month. That's pretty awesome. We didn't change anything. We didn't. We didn't bill him. He was he was a referral source. He said thank you. He wrote us a check, and I made it made it payable to our foundation. Oh, can you share that foundation name? That was my John Schwabe Memorial Foundation that has since closed. We had it open for eleven years. We raised about five hundred thousand dollars, and all that money was turned over to the not for profit. Went to a Loyola Academy's education fund, a Neediest Family Fund, and the Juvenile Diabetes Fund. That's wonderful. So all the things that you can do, but yet you got to take, my son had died in college, took that bad thing and turned it into a good thing. That's a perfect way. uh, That's a perfect way to kind of end with a, a good story of, you know, you helping somebody out. You know, helping somebody out uh, without trying to sell them something, as they say. Yeah, we don't. We don't need to. I don't worship money. Well, perfect. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that likes to get the pat on the back for, hey, you done some good for somebody. Paul is too. But say you like to get paid a little. Maybe we're like like you guys, Cynthia and Mark. We're, we're kind of like you guys. <laughs> Somebody's got to think about this stuff. The other side is like, oh, I got to go out and see some people. <laughs> well, that's perfect. So I think with that said, we're reaching the end of the hour. So I'd like Great. to, you know, I'd like to thank Cynthia for keeping us on the level. God bless her. Today. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Cynthia. Hey, do I get any points for being nice? You know, you Absolutely, were nice Absolutely, Paul. Paul. God bless. You should do this on your own. You could be a hero. <laughs> oh, guys! I think you. I think you. Of... Uh, I think you both played very well today. So I appreciate that. Okay, the sandbox is now empty, and I'm on to the next adventure at my home. Maybe a pleasant one. Yeah, sugar biscuits. It will be. There's two dogs outside waiting to attack me now. <laughs> Have fun, guys! Thank you very much for letting us be with you today. And thank sure. you for your time. Absolutely. And thank you for all your knowledge and insight. We really appreciate it. If you missed some of the show today, you can listen to the replay on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP 103.1 FM or live stream at www.wvlp.org. And we store the past shows on Mark's website at www.mondocrm.com forward slash podcast, or you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app at any time. We're listed in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Podbean. Just search for Mark Mondo and the show will come up and you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates. And the show is now on YouTube. Just search for Mondo CRM or Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo and the episodes will come up on the YouTube feed. Thank you for very much for spending time with us today, and we look forward to you joining us again next week.